At Online MedEd, we walk you through every topic in detail, so you're ready for the boards and the wards. In the abdominal trauma lecture, we're going to draw on a lot of the information we learned in general surgery abdominal pain. The same question comes up. Do you have to go to the operating room right now, or is there a different test you can do? We're going to start off with penetrating, then talk about blunt, and finish off with individual injuries you might encounter. Let's start off by talking about penetrating injuries to the abdomen and pelvis. For the sake of the test, what I want you to do is divide it into gunshots and knife wounds. In reality, what you're going to do is always decide, did the injury penetrate the peritoneum? If the answer is yes, the person is going to the operating room. For the test, gunshot wounds always penetrate the peritoneum. It is possible that someone has an armor layer of fat and gets shot with a very small caliber handgun that the bullet might not enter the peritoneum. But for the test, what I want you to see is if you see handgun wound to the abdomen, it's penetrating. And so all gunshot wounds go to surgery, they all get an X-lap. And the reason why you do that is because you want to run the bowel. You try to find the hole the bullet made and close it. The abdomen begins at T4, at the nipple line. The reason why that is, is if you take a big deep breath, your lungs go pretty low, pushing the liver and spleen down. If you exhale the, the, entirely, you can bring the abdomen up to the level of the nipples. So if you are shot below the nipple, X-lap the abdomen. When it comes to other penetrating injuries like knife wounds, you have to answer the question, did we get into the peritoneum? And of course, if you see things like peritoneal signs, abdominal pain, peritonitis, you're going to, go, going to operate anyway. If you have a penetrating wound to the abdomen and they're frankly in shock, they're probably bleeding, they're going to the operating room. And the other thing you might look for is evisceration. Sign that you have clearly entered the peritoneum. These all go to the OR. But where you might not is if the penetrating injury has not entered the peritoneum. So if you see a superficial wound, you want to probe it. And if you probe the wound and you enter peritoneum, whether or not there was a hole there or you made it with your finger irrelevant, you are going to the OR. But if you manage to feel that you have not penetrated the peritoneum, you can watch and wait. Serial abdominal exams maybe get some imaging, but the whole point is if you put your finger in there and you're not in the peritoneum, you don't have to operate. And again, in life, you might do more testing for the test. They'll tell you, did not enter peritoneum, no need to do any more work. When it comes to blunt trauma, you have a couple of options. And again, the question we're asking is, who goes to the operating room? When someone comes in with trauma, you're always going to do a FAST, a focused assessment with a sonogram after trauma. 
If the FAST exam is positive for blood, you're going to the operating room. The other test you have is the CT scan. And CT and FAST have generally replaced all other testing. The CT scan, you go to the operating room if you see blood, or air. Air is going to be indicative of a ruptured hollow viscous. Now you might think, okay, but well, I can get an x-ray of the abdomen, a KUB. That's not going to be the right answer on the test. It should be an upright KUB, and they've just suffered a big trauma, and an upright KUB shows you one of two things. Air under the diaphragm, or loops of small bowel. Bowel obstruction, bowel perforation. If you see a KUB and there's air under the diaphragm, that's a perf, they're going to the operating room. But in the evaluation of a trauma, the x-ray is not that useful because all it shows you is air, no air, and the CT scan can show you that instead. And then there used to be this thing, the diagnostic peritoneal lavage. Basically not done anymore. Right, you put a cat, you stick, uh, you cause a penetrating injury, inject some fluid, and suck it back out. The idea here was that you were trying to get the answer of blood, no blood. And in the setting of an unstable patient who cannot go to the scanner, in whom the fast is negative, and there's no other cause of hypotension or instability, then a diagnostic peritoneal lavage might be done, and that's going to be a vignette. Right? But the, in real life, if you have abdominal trauma and they're hypotensive and unstable, if you can't find the bleed on the FAST exam, it's probably something else. And either you're going to X-lap that person because they're unstable, or you're going to put them in the scanner after a little bit of resuscitation. So for the test, in this setting where you have an unstable patient and a negative FAST exam, a diagnostic peritoneal lavage might be the right answer. In life, you're just not going to see it done. And the reason why we're talking about this is because if you have injuries to the abdomen and pelvis, they can kill you. I'm going to introduce the concept of the compartments and how big they are. Not necessarily drawn to scale. What I want you to see is that if you have head trauma... There is no way you're going to exsanguinate into your skull. If you do, you're going to herniate the brain and you'll be, you'll die as the brain goes through the foramen magnum instead. You just can't get enough blood in the skull. The same is true of the arms. Even both compartments really just aren't big enough to hold a whole lot of blood. They can get big, they can have a big hematoma, but you're not going to die. The same thing is true of the lower half of the leg. You just can't die from it. The chest is a big deal, and it can hold about a 1,000 cc's, 500 on either side. So you can bleed enough to die into the chest. Remember, the cardiac output's about 5 liters, so losing a fifth of your blood volume is a lot. Pregnant women can handle a 1 liter loss during delivery because they've got extra volume. Young, healthy guys getting into traumas don't have that extra blood volume, so losing a liter can be fatal. But the abdomen has even more in it. It's about 1,500, and the pelvis can hold about 2,000. And each thigh can hold about a liter. Now, the number itself is not important to memorize, just that if you've got trauma to the abdomen and you're bleeding, it's big enough to hold enough blood for you to die before it tamponades itself, which means 
if you identify bleeding, you got to get in there and fix it. So what are some of the things that could actually bleed? So if you have blunt trauma, you might rupture your liver. And the liver is the most common thing to bleed following abdominal trauma. And the liver's just kind of sitting there, right? And it's got this ligamentum teres holding it in place. And very much like we talked about in deceleration injuries in the chest, the liver keeps going, the ligament stays still. And what happens to the liver is that it literally gets shredded, sheared by the ligament. And this liver's going to bleed. What you have to realize is you need your liver, right? So you can't remove it if it's bleeding. But remember, the liver is broken down into lobes. So once you get in there, if you can repair the liver, repair it. But if you're not able to repair it, you may have to do a lobectomy. That is, remove the specific lobes that are bleeding. But when you're in there, if you want to get a good view of what's going on, you might want to try the Pringle maneuver. You compress the pancreatoduodenal ligament, and you compress the hepatic artery and the portal vein. All the blood supply going to the liver, you can cut off, so you stop the bleeders to clear up the field. The other most common cause of bleeding after abdominal trauma is a ruptured spleen. It's the second most common cause. And the thing you want to know about the spleen is that it's got a capsule. So unless it's completely pulverized, you generally can salvage it. And so if you're able to go in and you see that this spleen is bleeding and that's all there is, you should repair it. But the spleen is not a vital organ. So if you get in there and you realize, oh my God, there's a whole bunch of stuff bleeding in here. What do I prioritize? Well, you're going to repair the liver, but you're going to resect the spleen. And the way of saving time to save blood loss, if there's multiple things that need to be fixed, the spleen gets sacrificed. And if you resect the spleen, you have to remember to vaccinate against encapsulated organisms. In particular, think about strep and Neisseria. But those are the two solid things that might rupture and cause hemorrhage. Other things might rupture and cause something else. A ruptured diaphragm can occur as a product of blunt trauma. This is not going to be difficult to spot. If you've got a hole in your diaphragm, your bowel is going to end up in your chest. So if you see bowel sounds in the chest following a trauma, you're going to get an x-ray, and you can do this on the x-ray, but really it's going to be that CT, right, because we're not getting x-rays anymore. We'll show you bowel in the chest. If you've got bowel in the chest, you know there's a diaphragmatic hernia or diaphragmatic rupture, and in this case, you need to go straight to the operating room. If you have a ruptured hollow viscous, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, if you have a perforation, you're going to get air under the diaphragm. And you'll see free air on the CT. So if you happen to get the KUV, which you should not do, right? We're talking about using the CT scan. If you can see air under the diaphragm, that person goes to surgery. If you get a CT scan, you're not going to see air under the diaphragm. You'll see free air at the top of the scan. Right? Air rises, which is why the upright KUB, there's this barrier of the diaphragm, air only gets it to there. If you're on your back, the air is going to be at the top, 
that is at the very apex of your belly because that's where the air rises to. If you see free air, you go to XLAP to find the hole. And the thing we've saved for the end is the pelvic injury. And the one we care about the most is pelvic fracture. The pelvis is a, supposed to be a donut, and it is one bone. So that when you push on it, the whole thing should move in one direction. It's called the hip rock. If someone has a pelvic fracture, they must have sustained an enormous amount of trauma. This is the person who gets ejected from the car, or is the pedestrian struck. And when you do that hip-rocking maneuver, instead of rolling with you, the two sides just come apart. If you do a hip-rocking maneuver and there's an extreme amount of pain, or you are able to push in different directions, you've got a pelvic fracture. The diagnosis will be made with a CT scan. And here's the thing. Most pelvic fractures do not require surgery. External fixation is sufficient. So even though you see a bunch of blood in the pelvis, you don't have to go to surgery. If that bleeding is going into the peritoneum and they become peritoneal, then you will operate. But if the person has bleeding into the pelvis only, you do external fixation and transfuse blood. It's like the exact counter to what you want to do when you think there's bleeding in the belly as you go operate. And then what you have to recognize is once you have a pelvic fracture, you should go looking for other injuries. Those are going to, those injuries are going to be a urethral trauma. The pelvic fracture is the gateway injury. If you have urethral injury, you'll look for a high riding prostate. or blood at the meatus. If you see this, don't put in a Foley. As is part of a lot of trauma protocols, just put in the catheter. Instead, you want to diagnose it with a retrograde urethrogram. What you're looking for is extravasation or stricture. If they have trouble urinating and their bladder's getting full, then you need to do a suprapubic cath, not an indwelling catheter. You might also have a rectal injury, assess this with a proctoscope. And lastly, because of a pelvic fracture, you might have a ureteral, that is the ureters are damaged, injury. This is generally going to be noticed much later on, and you would just assess it using an intravenous pilogram. Again, looking for extravasation. Now you can tell I did them in decreasing yield, so what you want to focus is on the pelvic fracture, hip-rocking, CT scan, external fixation, and then know a little bit about the urethral injury because the buzz phrase, high riding prostate, means you have the diagnosis. So when it comes to abdominal trauma, if you've got penetrating and it's a gunshot below the nipple line, XLAP. Any other penetrating injury, assess for instability and then assess for did it actually get into the peritoneum. If it didn't get into the peritoneum, you watch and wait. 
When it comes to blunt trauma, most common is the ruptured liver, liver. Pringle maneuver to stop the bleeding, generally try to repair, but if you have to, remove a lobe. For ruptured spleen, it's capsulated so you're able to repair it, but sacrifice it if there's other stuff you have to do. Ruptured diaphragm is going to be bowel sounds in the chest, emergent surgery. Ruptured hollow viscous, air under the diaphragm or free air on the CT, straight to surgery. And a pelvic fracture is going to be the thing following enormous trauma with a positive hip rocking maneuver, diagnose it on CT scan, external fixation, very rarely do you need to go to surgery, emergently for a bleeding pelvis. That's abdominal trauma.